Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody and then be seated. Amen. Amen. This has been a great Veterans Sunday. Even though Veterans Day is not till Thursday, uh, whenever you see somebody that's got the, the hat on that says they served in World War II or Korea or Vietnam or Desert Storm or whatever, go up to them and thank them. Give them a tract. Give them a smiley face tract. Give them a witness. Thank them because they made it possible for us to be in the greatest nation on earth and to live in the greatest time of opportunity ever, ever. And we're not, listen, we're not going to rewrite history. We're not going to cancel out culture. We are going to stand for Jesus Christ in these difficult days. And we are going to, as I taught in the 5 o'clock live stream, the leadership live stream, we are going to, by the grace of God, according to the Word of God, we're going to rebuild the ruins we are going to build as in the days of old. We're going on for God. And we have the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Try to invite somebody this week. Try to win somebody to Christ. Try to witness to two or three people. Hand out two or three tracks. Uh, get some more tracks. Uh, talk to some people about Jesus on the job. When you cross paths with people in the market, you know, don't just talk about the produce. Talk about Jesus. Amen. Amen. In our bulletin, which you can get online, if you scroll down and tap, you'll find some great things about loyalty, about faithfulness, uh, about uh, doing what is right, and uh, God being our head coach and being in the trenches. All great things. We've got a great week ahead of us. We're going to be doing what we can for Jesus Christ and uh, looking forward to what He's going to do in the days ahead. All uh, week, every day, we've got devotions from the shepherd to the sheep. Be sure to turn, tune in and uh, encourage somebody else to do the same. Likewise, Wednesday night we'll be in the book of Colossians, and I can't wait to get back in there. We're in the first chapter still, just getting started, 7.30 on Wednesday night. Tune in if you can't be here. And then Saturday, we're going to have cleaning at 9, visitation at 10. 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, we are going to live stream. We're going to, we're going to broadcast uh, online uh, 16.03 in Bible Institute. You need to catch that. You need to be part of that. Encourage other people as well. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles tonight. I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. Now We mentioned Joshua this morning at the beginning. He was just a young man at that time. And he had been handed the baton, the torch, to carry on after Moses had retired from leadership. God buried him in the mountains of Moab. He got to see but didn't get to enter into the promised land. And so Joshua was trained to take over. And he did. And did a wonderful job. General Joshua. Now if you'll turn with me to Joshua and chapter 23. An introductory verse. Verse number 1 of Joshua 23 and it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua, here it is, waxed old and stricken in age. That's the Bible way of saying he'd run his course. Joshua was faithful. There were occasions when he should have prayed and he didn't. 
They went up to Ai unprepared. Achan's sin of taking of the accursed thing in Jericho caused them to lose about three dozen men. It's terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Joshua fell on his face, and the Lord said, Get up and go check it out. Take care of it. Fix it. Take care of it. Take care of it. God wants His people to be lined up with His Word. And when we start uh, being creative and doing things our own way, that's when it messes it up, not only for us, but all those people that died, there was a funeral in about 30-some households. Think about that. Must have been sad. And then all those family members of Achan had to die, stoned to death and burned in the valley of Achor. But God means what He says, and He says what He means. We need to be people of the book, and we need to be people of God's Word as well. Joshua had been through some things. They did not absolutely, totally, and utterly drive out the inhabitants, the enemies, the idolaters, and they had to live with the consequences of that for a number of years. But by and large, Joshua was God's man. Make up your mind to be God's man. Make up your mind to be God's woman. Just say it tonight in your heart. I'm going to be God's man. I'm going to be God's woman. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to go where He says go. I'm going to be obedient and flexible. We need everybody in our church to be on the same page in that respect. Joshua called for all Israel. He gave them some counsels. And then we come to chapter 24. Chapter 24. He is going to give a very vivid account in chapter 24 of some of the key battles that took place. How God gave the victory. Never forget who we are and why we are who we are. Never forget that God made us. Never forget that God directs us. And anything that we ever accomplish in this old world will be because we listened to God and we obeyed Him and we followed His directions. Joshua is not taking any credit. He is giving all the credit where it belongs to the Lord. It's because God did it. God accomplished it. And uh, he says, you got a land, you got property, you got cities. You didn't build those cities. God gave them to you. You didn't grow those crops. God gave them to you. Never forget the goodness of God. Never forget to extol the Lord. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. We should be having Thanksgiving every day. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for blessing my life. Thank you, Lord, for giving me my family. Thank you, Lord, for supplying my needs. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to represent you. And even when your heart's up in your throat and you don't know what to say next, just open your mouth and the Lord's going to fill it. The Bible says so. All right, so he says... In verse 13 of chapter 24, And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat. Now listen, that's called grace. God's grace. Praise Him for His grace. And if it seem, he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him how? In sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. Now the flood is not the Noahic flood. It's not the deluge. I know there is 
a, a very poor excuse of a translation that's been done hurriedly that mistakes that. That's the overflow of the banks of the Euphrates, the other side. That's where idolatry came from. It came from Babylon. It came from that, everything that you've got today that's intermixed with what is right and what is correct came from Babylon. That's the source of it. That's where the evil of idolatry and paganism comes from. He says, on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. You got a choice to make. That's what Joshua is saying. You have a choice. John, in the fifth chapter of 1 John, tells us little children, keep yourselves from idols. We must constantly be vigilant not to allow anything, any person, any idea, any institution, any activity to get in the way of the perfect will of God for our life. We need to go over it mentally right now. Go over your days. Go over your nights. Go over your weekends. And think about it. Is there anything, any person, any idea, any institution, any activity that keeps you from being all that you ought to be for Jesus Christ? If that's the case, it's an idol to be rooted out of your life and rooted out. You say, is it possible? Yes, it is. In fact, it is likely uh, as the age progresses that there's more and more Christian, small c Christian idolatry, uh, the allowance of things that come between the believer, the professing believer, and the perfect will of God. I don't want that to be, so Lord, remove the, the paganism and the idolatry, the things that come between your perfect will and my life. Now verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. It seems like a tough thing, a hard thing, uh, you know, like you're not getting the best end of this. Choose, you got to choose. You either serve the Lord or you don't. You got to choose. You can't serve the Lord a little bit and serve idolatry a little bit, serve yourself, serve your own ideas a little bit. You can only serve the Lord. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So whether it's far or near, distant, a uh, long time ago or current. But as for me and my house, here it is, we will serve the Lord. That portion of the verse, uh, part C, I guess, of verse 15 of chapter 24 of Joshua is that part that usually appears on a little placard, a little... Uh, a little cross or something on the door. People put that, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Harry Benson used to always ask me to pray for his household, that God would get a hold not only of his life, but the life of everybody in his extended family. As for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a decision, a choice that each individual makes insofar as our influence extends. I don't want to do anything that will keep somebody else from being all that they ought to be for God. I don't want to schedule anything. I don't want to deflect or distract in any way a person from the will of God. I want them to be in the will of God. Uh, I don't want, if, if my wife is having her devotions, I don't want to say, hurry up, let's go, we got to get to this, that, or the other thing. Because she's in the Word, and that's where she needs to be. And she wants the same for her husband, and we want the same for our children and our grandchildren. We don't want to hurry up God. We don't want to 
shortchange God. We don't want to keep the person from having everything that they need to have in the will of God. The people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now, we have a review of that. Verse 21, the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. There it is. That's called a profession. When a person makes a vow to God, when a person comes forward and professes, when an when a individual says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord in the XYZ ministry. I'm going to serve the Lord in Central Baptist Church or wherever you are out there. I'm going to serve the Lord and do that thing. You and I are witnesses against ourselves. We have said it with our mouth. It is confirmed and the Lord holds us responsible for that. Now, let's think about it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and again and again, week by week, your days, your afternoons, your nights. Think about it. What have we said that we would be, that we would do, that we don't? And we ought to do something about it. Joshua was an in-person, I mean flesh and blood, real example of somebody who said, take your stand, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't equivocate, don't profess something that's not real. A lot of folks look good on paper, but a resume is not the same as the person. Some people can write killer resumes, and then they don't follow through. They can't, they can't deliver on it. Joshua was the real deal, flesh and blood. He meant what he said. He said what he meant. We need to as well. Joshua said, you're witnesses against yourself. It says in the end of that chapter, verse 29, after Joshua let the people depart, verse 29 says, And it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him, and so on and so forth. Look at verse 31. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, so as long as he was alive, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, that Joshua had been over, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. There it is. So we have a clue. Now, some key people are being buried here. We have the bones of Joseph, and we have Eliezer, the son of Aaron. After he died, he's being buried. I want you to move on into the book of Judges. It flows right in there. I want you to go to chapter 2 of Judges. Once again, the people, it's a review. They're being reminded to stay separate. Separation is not something that some independent fundamental Baptist pastor made up. A bunch of rules so that the people would all follow the same standards. That's not it. The concept of separation goes back into the Old Testament. God said that He wanted a peculiar people. He wanted His own particular chosen people. He said that He is a jealous God, that we belong to Him. And He said, to illustrate this, I don't want you to mix your seed. I want you to keep your seed separate in the field. I don't want you to mix your livestock. Keep them separate in pens. Keep them separate in different fields. I don't want you to mix... Your, your fibers of, of 
cloth when you make your clothing, but keep it all separate. Keep it separate. And he required by these visuals, by these everyday examples, for people to understand separation. It's not that we think we're better or that we're elitist. It's that God doesn't want us who are his representatives to be compromised or polluted or contaminated. That's why we are to be separate. Separation is one of the distinctives of independent Baptists. I've taught you this. There's personal, that is ethical separation. There's ecclesiastical or what we would call group or church separation. We're to be separate. Doesn't mean that we put our nose in the air. We still pray for others. We pray for God to use them somehow, but we don't, we don't compromise. The reason our church youth group will never go with another church youth group that's different from us is we don't want our church youth group to be compromised or contaminated or to, to be confused about our stand. That is why we're never going to enter into some kind of joint ecumenical evangelistic gathering unless everybody with whom we are yoking up is exactly like we are in doctrine and practice. That is why we will never compromise in that area as long as this pastor and hopefully those who come after me are in this pulpit. We're going to continue to be separate because God expects us to be separate. Be ye holy, he says, for I am holy or as I am holy. It says in Old and New Testaments alike. There it is. There it is. We have the word of God. These are our marching orders. Joshua goes on to his death. The people who were alive when he was alive overlived him. Those elders were still in charge. They said, no, General Joshua. And before him, Moses, the deliverer, they taught us these, these, these spiritual principles. We're going to follow those principles. And they towed the line. And they absolutely said, this is it. This is the standard. This is it. This is what we're going to do. That's why in our generation, we have to preach it hard. We have to stick by it. We have to stand upon it. We can't be soft. We can't just say, well, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. It does. But it does not compromise the truth. We have to stick with the truth, stay with the truth, and teach our children and our children's children and hopefully and prayerfully they will do the same to their children and their children's children and on and on until Jesus comes. I'm looking for Jesus to come. I'm looking for him to come tonight. I don't know when he's coming. But if he doesn't come in my lifetime, if he doesn't come in my children's lifetime, if he doesn't come in my grandchildren's lifetime, I pray that my children and my grandchildren will tell my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren and those who come after us that this is what God says in His Word. I'm praying that there will be independent fundamental Baptists just like there are right now, not ashamed of being a Baptist, of being a Bible believer. They won't take Baptists off their name. And we were talking about it. Some, some have even taken church off their name. And they say, welcome to the eagle's nest. Welcome to the loft. What is that? May God help us to stand firm for the truth and not to compromise. It's not about being up to date or modern. It's about being true to the Lord Jesus. And I would not change, I would not take Baptist or independent or fundamental out of our name. I would not do it. I won't do it. 
long as I'm standing up here, there's breath in my body, and who comes after me, the same will be true. Amen. Amen. We talked about the military today. And though he was rough in his language, General George Patton was a leader. He influenced people. Sometimes he was rough. He was really rough. Now, what uh, he was pictured at and as by Hollywood was totally skewed and wrong. Because though he was rough, this man feared God. Absolutely feared God. And he talked about the, the failure of modernist preachers to teach common, ordinary people the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he was very clear on that. And I've got Patton's principles, the uh, handbook for managers who mean it, by Porter Williamson, who was his assistant. Some of the principles of command and management. A commander will command. So if you are the leader, you don't have to go around saying, I'm the leader. I'm the, just lead. Just lead. Stand up for the truth. Don't compromise. He says, summer soldiers will be transferred before the sun goes down. <laughs> Keep a quick line of communication. Punishment for mistakes must be immediate or a dead man does not have any ego. Say what you mean and mean what you say. I like that. Any man who thinks he's indispensable ain't. The mission is all important. Think about standard rules later. Always be alert to the source of trouble. Select leaders for accomplishment, not for affection. Every leader must have the authority to match his responsibility. Protect the troops first, and so on. But in the back of this, page 139, he said to those who served with him, he said, you cannot get so angry about your service, angry with what a senator back home says, or a representative says, or even a president says. You took an oath. He said, you took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. He's right. You don't do... You don't react based upon what others say. You do based upon the oath, the vow that you took to defend and, and stand for that Constitution of the United States of America. And I'm hammering this home for a reason. There are a lot of people that have let people or circumstances, economics, COVID or whatever, change the direction of who they are and how they are. We cannot do that. We will not allow that to happen. We have taken a vow, an oath, to stand for and stand upon the Word of God. And we will. General Patton went on to say, this is where Benedict Arnold went wrong. There were some people who were jealous of his victories. Benedict Arnold was one of the greatest American revolutionary generals that ever laced on boots. But he had people who were critical of him and he thought he got a raw deal and that's why he sold out and became the traitor. And now, if you're a Benedict Arnold, it's a bad word, but Benedict Arnold, when he was fighting for the revolution, was one of the great generals of history. 
I bet you didn't know that. But he forgot who he was fighting for and what he was fighting for. He let people and ideas and changes and trends affect him. How many people do you know? Right now, I got my hand up. How many people do you know that are out of church because somebody did them wrong, they think. Because somebody rubbed them wrong, they think. Because things didn't go their way in their life as they think they ought to go. And so they quit doing right. They quit going to church. They quit living the Christian life. I'm telling you right now, they didn't have to do that. If their vow was to God to uphold the Word of God and to stand upon it, then what people do and what they perceive that people do to them should have no effect upon their Christian life. I'm telling you right now, out there, listening to this broadcast, what somebody has done to you should have no effect upon your Christianity. Your relationship is with Jesus Christ alone. Your behavior is based upon the Word of God alone. Go back, get on your knees, re-enlist, get back in. Remember, you're a soldier in the army of the king of kings. The general, I'm talking about General Joshua, talking to his troops, says, remember, you didn't plant these vineyards, these olive yards. You did not build these cities. God gave them to you. It's a free gift. Don't forget it. Don't serve the gods of your neighbors, those around you, those that you've come from. Serve the one true God. They said, we will. He said, you're witnesses against yourself. Right now, there are some people, all you can say about them, they used to be. They used to do. They used to go. Don't be numbered among the used to be's. The used to go, the used to do crowd. We're in the book of Judges now. We have Joshua talking to the people in chapter 2 and come down to verse number 6. This is a review. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. Now isn't that picturesque? What possession? What inheritance? Did they work for it? Yes, they fought. Yes, they did what they were told. But they didn't plant it. They didn't build it. God gave it to them. And what you have in Jesus Christ, you didn't plant or build. God gave it to you. God gave it to me. Praise the Lord. We give Him thanks. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen, here it is, who had seen all the great works of the Lord. If you go back and look in the 24th chapter and follow down the list in Joshua chapter 24 of all the things that God did, there were people living in Joshua's time and some that outlived him who had seen what God did. I mean, they were there when the miracle happened. Some of you go back a ways. Some of you go back into the 20th century. For my case, I go all the way back to before the middle of the 20th century. And I have the verbal, the, the oral witness of my parents and grandparents of what God did all the way back into the 1800s, the 1880s, 1890s. The hand of God was mighty 
moving through this land and throughout the world, and people were coming to God through Christ in great numbers. I mean, huge numbers. When they would have meetings, they would be protracted. We don't even know what that word means anymore. A protracted meeting is a meeting for, of spiritual importance that goes on and goes on, not because they schedule it, but because God keeps blessing. Folks keep getting saved. People keep getting right with God. Protracted meetings. Have you ever been part of such a thing? People came under such conviction that they were never again the same. They yielded to God. There was a transformation. Drunkards were made sober, and people that were down in the filth of their sin were made clean, and there was a new change, a turnaround in their life, and whole cities turned to God, and churches were built up because of great revivals that were going on from the late 1800s through the mid-1900s, and then all of a sudden, it's like the spigot started to turn down to a dribble. There were some great days in the 60s and the 70s. A lot of buses were run. A lot of souls got saved. A lot of big independent fundamental Baptist churches. Uh, there was this Baptist temple and this Baptist temple and that Baptist temple. Just name the city and they all had a Baptist temple. And you couldn't find a place to stand against the wall. And people were getting saved. And the spigot got a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter. And then something shocking happened. In the 1980s, I watched it happen. I watched some of those big churches just go out of existence or go away or change leadership and become something else. They weren't soul-winning centers anymore. They weren't discipling centers. They weren't Bible-preaching centers anymore. They became something other than that. And all of a sudden, when you'd see the listing of the larger and the more successful churches, you would see way down the list an independent Baptist church. And at the top, all these non-denominational, charismatic, whatsoever, whatever they were, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, and they were in the top positions. And it's not that it's a contest, but it was a sign of what was going on. What happened? It could be that some Christians just got comfortable. Some churches just got comfortable. The devil got in some places. Some folks got into sin. Instead of handling it right and going on, some churches went out of existence. The general spoke to his troops and said, you are witnesses against yourselves. After the people who had seen the great things had started to thin out and die off, and something different happened. Please watch what it says. It says in verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So Joshua's gone, his elders are gone, that generation's gone. Now a generation arises that doesn't know the Lord. There's only one way to ensure that this doesn't happen. And that is to make sure that the next generation and the generation after that that's coming up, that they have the same kind of preaching, that they have the same kind of standards, that they have the same kind of church, that they have the same kind of methods and approach, the same thing. You say, but you know what? We know how that goes. You know what? It's our own sin and dissatisfaction, our own carnality that causes us to get bored or impatient with whatever we have seen in the past. We need to go on and be faithful. And I'm going to go on and I'm going to be faithful. So the Israelites, what did they do? 
What did, what did they do? Verse 11. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Balaam is the local god. In every town they had a Baal, Dash, whatever, fill in the name. And Balaam was a god of agriculture and, and uh, of, uh, of reproduction. And there were just unbelievably ungodly, unspeakable things that were done in this pagan worship. So Balaam is plural for Baal. And so there was a, a Baal over here and a Baal over there and a Baal over here. And you can go around today and you can see places that claim to be churches. And uh, they're here, there, and everywhere. But their spirituality is about one fraction of an inch deep. And they've got a lot of feelings and a lot of experience and a lot of emotions and a lot of that going on. And they've got a lot of admixture. And you can find, you can walk into these places and you can't even tell what they are from the name of the place. And you can't even tell by what's going on on the platform because every one of them, whether they're formerly Baptist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist, they all look and sound the same. They're all the same. You don't hear any hard preaching. You sure don't hear the King James Bible. You don't see an invitation. You don't see people coming to God. Instead, you got everything else in the flesh, and they call it their religion. They call it their, their worship. And it's going on, and the devil's having a heyday. And like I said, it's a fraction of an inch deep, and it's a mile wide, and it's filled with carnality. And they will even, on the religious side of their flesh, they will exercise, they'll use phraseology, they'll use termo, terminology, and they'll talk about the Lord, and they'll even go so far as to blaspheme and say, Thus saith the Lord, and they'll come up with something new. And it's all of the devil, every bit of it. Not everybody there is lost, not everybody there is demon-possessed, but there's enough of it to make it go on. And it gets bigger and bigger, and it looks bigger and better and fancier, and people say, Wow, wow, look at all the thousands of people. And that's true. Look at all the thousands of people. Verse 12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, and served Baal and Ashtaroth. So all the heathen gods. There you have it. And He delivered them into the hands of the spoilers. There you have it. And the hand of the Lord was against them. The Lord raised up judges. Periodically they would be, they would be uh, on the upswing and then once again fall back into it. And it's a picture of human nature, what goes on all around us. And let me tell you what they had. They had good profession, intentions. They had... Uh, the, they had the form of godliness but denied the true power thereof which is in the Word of God. You get away from the true Word of God and you get away from the true power. You'll get something but you won't get the power of God. You won't have that. And I would rather have a handful and the power of God and start over and rebuild than to go the worldly satanic program that's being promoted now in so many places. Those people, after Joshua's time, in the time of the judges, lacked the courage of conviction that we talked about this morning. Courage 
has to begin with conviction. Courage is not a feeling. Anything that's eternal doesn't start with a feeling. It starts with truth. The truth. We have absolute truth here. We need to know it. We need to share it. We need to stand for it and never compromise. Joshua said it. He said your witness is against yourself. Your witness is against yourself. I am not saying even for one second that I believe we have passed through our Philadelphia period of time and that we are permanently in Laodicea. I think those seven churches in Revelation are typical of churches throughout church history. And you can find a little bit of each in every local church. And you find a predominance of it in some churches, in some places. But those seven churches are not hard and fast church ages. My Revelation teacher in Bible college says, yes, you can get those church ages out of there, like it says in some notes, but you have to put it in to get it out. I don't believe we're permanently stuck in Laodicea. I believe we can have a Philadelphia. We can have some of Ephesus. We can have some of Smyrna. We can have some of those good things. And we can have it again. And we can have it again. We can have it for generations to come until Jesus takes us home. But we have to start by getting into the Word until the Word gets into us. And we have to say, I'm going to have no part of those false gods and those false religious forms, that form of godliness that denies the power thereof. I'm going to stick with the pure Word of God, uncompromised, until Jesus takes me home. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. How many of you tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God spoke to me through the Word tonight. Slip your hand up high. Spirit of God spoke to me. Amen. Amen. Let us determine, let us determine to be God's people and not just intend to do right, not just profess to do right. Let's be people of conviction. Let's train up the next generation and the generation after us. Let's reach out to them. Let's win souls. Let's disciple them. Let's continue on. Let's all do our part. When the invitation is given in just a moment, will you come and dedicate and rededicate and commit and recommit your heart and life to that? With heads bowed and eyes closed, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you've not been saved the Bible way, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God, something like this, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. dream